0: Welcome to the Imagine a Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. Adam Goodman, and he is a damn good man. I just couldn't resist that one. Okay, today is going to really challenge you to dig deep, especially if you lead a business. Adam Goodman leads the third generation furniture dealer out of Phoenix, Goodman's. This conversation is built on purpose and getting to better. Adam will give you his game plan on confronting systemic racism inside of a company. It comes with a heavy dose of self-vulnerability and a heaping side of courage. And by no means does Adam claim to have it all figured out. It's clearly a process, but it's the effort that's gone into learning and trying to get to better that is so impressive to learn about in this conversation. And just like many of the interviews, there's a touching story towards the end when Adam unveils Goodman's purpose for the first time and how it didn't go as planned. It's an awesome conversation. I will say no more. Here's Adam. Adam, I've known you for some time. Yes. Actually, there's a funny story about how we first met. Maybe we'll save that for later. Who knows? (laughs) But when I meet people who know you and I say your name, their body language (laughs) physically changes. (laughs) Like they are just like, they melt. They love you. And... It's really cool to see that you have that effect on people.
1: I don't know. I think it was a grain of salt.
0: Well, hey, I'm I'm so glad you're here. There was an article almost three years ago to the day. I thought I led a woke furniture company. Turns out we contribute to systemic racism. Uh, Wow, that is a pretty bold statement and a pretty bold exploration as I went on to read this. And I thought, wow, Adam, you didn't just address this at a very kind of surface level you went like five six seven levels deep into what is a pretty big problem in corporate america so what led you down that path
1: uh like everybody else i was deeply affected by the george floyd murder and um immediately after the the his murder our marketing team posted a black lives matter square on on facebook and it seemed um, so performative. It seemed to be, um, it didn't meet the moment at all. And um, it, it sort of forced me to uh, validate, what is that what is that doing? And uh, I started thinking about this idea of systemic racism. <clears throat> and it's that root word there, system, right? You're familiar with how root words work, right? It's, it's a systemic, the root word is system. That it means it's system-wide, it's everywhere. And so the question I ask myself, well, if if systemic racism is everywhere, then there aren't any exceptions or very few exceptions. And that must mean it exists somewhere in my company, and uh, I need to to take a look and see if it's there. That's what kicked this all off.
0: Yeah, well, it it takes a degree of self-awareness and humility to begin that sort of exploration and then not stop partway in. And I think that's what you talk about is uh, a lot of people start that exploration— does my workforce meet the population? Right, and they stop there.
1: I, I, I talk to CEOs all the time who say, uh, which is the case with us, by the way. Our overall census of our company almost point for point matches Arizona and New Mexico demographics, almost point for point. And uh, that's like, I'm done. Clearly, there's no discrimination here, no system systemic racism, nothing to see. Move along. Um, and there's more to it. There's just that's just one type of Discrimination is the hiring discrimination. So clearly, I feel like we got a clean bill of health and this idea of hiring discrimination. We 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 don't seem to mind hiring uh, people of any uh, race or ethnicity or anything like that. Good news. But yeah, there's more. There's more different kinds of discrimination, and um, there's there's leadership discrimination. There's wage discrimination. And there's something called occupational sorting. There's a bunch of other discrimination types as well, but I, I really focused on just those to see if those existed inside the company once we eliminated the idea of hiring discrimination. And um, sure enough, we've we've got them all. The leadership discrimination, so if, if, if about 58% of our company is uh, white, then you would expect our leadership team to be about 58% white, but it turns out it's about 80% white. Um, and whereas... Thirty-five percent or so of our company's Hispanic. Only twenty percent of our leadership team is Hispanic. Well, that suggests there's some sort of imbalance going on there. That we're promoting people um, at a different rate of which they come in the company, and so that's something to pay attention to. Look, I'm not. I mean, let me say right up front: we're not looking for a quota system here. We're not trying to, you know, get this perfectly on the spot. There's no, um, there's no motive to to make it look good for the metrics. What I want to know is: are we um, promoting the best people or is there something unconscious that's stopping us from promoting best people or or um you've heard it before in in promotion discussions but right? you know that guy just doesn't he just doesn't seem like a managerial type to mm-hmm. me <laughs> right that's how this that's how this shows up and you know my ear is now finally attuned to hearing people say that and people actually say those kind of i, I just don't see them in a managerial position and so um th- that's what i'm worried about i don't want any of that going on in the company that's why we did the, the leadership uh discrimination analysis
0: yeah i mean it, it takes a real conscious effort to step outside of your own bias right i mean that that that's probably a process and let alone address it address that of others in your company and then begin to create a culture around acknowledging this um, you're three years in to this kind of recognition and this deep exploration how has that gone
1: the, the first step really is for me as the leader to be able to acknowledge that um, I've got some bias, and this is how discrimination works. By the way, it starts with bias, and th- that's a belief, and it leads to an action. The action is discrimination. And bro, I'm as woke as they come, right? We have a Black Lives Matter square on Facebook. We get off for Juneteenth. Juneteenth. Like, come on, it, it doesn't come anymore. Woke to this, I can't possibly have any bias. There's this uh, Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Are You familiar with this? Have you ever seen this test before? No. It's fascinating they've got like 30 different kinds of bias um racial bias gender bias uh uh, able disabled and so i took that test to see is do i have an unconscious bias and sure enough i did Mm. i did and it's kind of liberating to be able to okay it's there it's not you know malintentioned or anything it's it is what it is and it exists um i had our whole leadership team took it everybody on our senior leadership team had some form of unconscious bias okay, now we can name it, we can talk about it, we understand it. And now we know that unconscious bias, we're not bad people. I'm not a bad people, Doug. I'm a good people. But uh, clearly, there's an unconscious bias uh, going on in here with our whole team. So how does that impact uh, the rest of our decisions? And it turns out, um, it turns out this idea of occupational sorting is really really interesting and really insidious. And, and, you know, the, the most obvious example about occupational sorting is um or the most commonly known i'd say probably is boys are doctors and girls are nurses we all kind of you know have that in our heads uh but it, sometimes industries have them boys are interior designers architects and girls are interior designers excuse yeah, yeah. um uh, right we've we've seen that uh, and then sometimes companies have them their own companies at goodman's we have an occupational uh sorting going on where if like 35 percent of our company is Hispanic, it's like 90% of our operations, our field operations team is Hispanic. And if 57% of our company is white, our design sales team is like 90, 91% white. Oh, there you go. There's the occupational sorting. And we do a lot of promoting from within at Goodman's. And so uh when we're talking to high performers with high potential, and, and we're very, very clear by the way on who our high performers with high potential are. When we're talking to our high performers with high potential and talking about career exploration, there is something going on where if you're a, a high performing, high uh, potential installer, we talk to you about becoming a field manager. Well, Let's talk. You, let's show you over here to our project management. Look at all these other Hispanic people who have uh, evolved into great project managers. And rarely, if ever, maybe do we have the conversation about Have you thought about a career in design or a career in sales? And and um, th- this is a crew, a team that knows. Our industry, as well as anybody, they've got all the tools, culturally and values that uh, that reflect the company and that we want. It's just some technical skills that they're missing. Yeah. Oh my goodness, we're a seventy-year-old company. We, we 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 got a long time horizon, so we would take those great people and let's um, let's figure out how to upskill them, and move them into other jobs, better, higher paying jobs they can provide for their family. But here's the crazy, insidious thing about occupational sorting and unconscious bias. It's baked into everyone, even the installers that I'm talking to. So when I figured all this out and I went in front of our installation team at 6am, I'd like some points for that, by the way, for a a 6am meeting
0: that I was there. You get get points, points awarded. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: And I asked, all right, all right. Who here wants to, who wants to provide for a better career uh, and provide for the family better by moving into sales or design instead of going this route. And, um, Nobody raised their hand (laughs) because it was so, they've never seen anybody do that. There's no career path like that. What is that? What are you even talking about? And that's about the time I realized this is a 400 year old problem that we're dealing with. It's not going to get solved anytime soon. And this gets to your question. So how's it going? What's, what's happening? Um, It's a long journey. Let me say that, but it turns out getting rid of occupational sorting and unconscious bias is not something you can just train away. There's Mm. there's not a a workshop you can do. It's the unconscious bias It's there and it's not, you can probably become more aware of it for a a short period of time, but it's not going away.
0: That's the, that's the whole systemic part, right? Is this goes beyond Goodman's into something bigger.
1: It, It goes beyond Goodman's in the sense that I hope it inspires other companies to, to take a look at this dynamic and not be so fearful of uh, being labeled as racist or you know having a bias it's 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 um it's it's in all of us it's okay our um lawyers by the way i should declare up front w- do not want me talking about this and did not like this idea at all um and and rewrote uh, my op-ed that i wrote uh in 2020 to um to be completely neutered of anything <laughs> they said why are you even doing this but um the new lawyers are much better
0: <laughs> yeah wow i mean you, it was a big step out it was it really it, you know i'll attach I'll an art i'll touch a link to the show notes so that our listeners can find it uh, but it really was an inspiring step out too where you created a sense of vulnerability that gives others permission now to be vulnerable too we
1: do a lot of brene brown vulnerability work at goodman's and so uh yeah for sure the strength of vulnerability was was clear and the the response has been um tremendous really uh i've had a lot of ceos tell me how this has inspired them to take a look at at their own companies
0: you're you're three years in has the company is the company kind of still inspired around understanding this and and doing better or doing different?
1: Yes, it's it's a definitely a daily uh, issue that we deal with. Um, the way we finally figured out how to do this is to, uh, to, to use assessment tools that pull all that bias out of things. So um, we created a series of benchmarks using a, a number of um, uh, widely available tools, um, disk tools, and, and uh, like four different tools that we're using, um, working with a partner the vantage group give them a little plug there of indianapolis um and we've uh benchmarked all of our uh our positions design sales customer service foreman managerial general manager all those and uh w- by taking the people who are best at that job and ask them to fill out these profiles and then we created a composite benchmark of, of what a high performer looks like in that job and then we give that assessment to everybody in the company and we stack rank each position based on people who best match up for those roles. Now, these aren't technical skills. So um, for a designer, this is nothing about you know knowing anything about actual the mechanics of design. This is just the, the, uh, the motivations and drivers and behaviors and all these kinds of things that are inherent in your uh, personality and values and work ethic and those kinds of things. And so and we're also very clear, as I said earlier, about our, who our high performers with high potential are. And so now when we sit down with a high performer with high potential to have a career conversation with them, we can point to the, the assessment against the benchmark for those high perform, those high performers in those jobs and say, you know, you have what it takes to be a really good designer. Now it might take two years for us to give you the technical skills to get there. but we got access to community college classes. We got we got ways to give you those skills or maybe it's sales you want to go into or maybe you don't have computer skills, but you, we think that's going to be. And so now it's individualized career planning conversations with those high performers and high potential. Um, and that's, this is going to take time, but we've got a lot of irons in the fire of people who are in the middle of that upskilling process. And the thing is a high performance, high potential. I never want them to leave Goodman's for anything ever, except if someone just strokes them a giant check and then I'll, we'll throw a little goodbye party. And that's, I'm sorry to lose you, (laughs) but in absence of that, um, we want them to stay no matter what role they're staying, we're, we're going to they're more valuable here, no matter what they're doing. So uh, it's, it, those are obviously ambitious people. So we want to help feed that ambition help them grow. And like I said, provide better for their families.
0: I just, I love your point of view around people. And I just, I love how you've simplified a response to this. I mean, it wasn't to to discover this was not simple at all. Right. And, and to go through this, uh, but but just the easy steps of, well, hey, the first thing you could do is identify your high performer, high potential people. You know, you can run an assessment that removes bias out of where they, are, they have the propensity to be successful. Um, and then you can start those individualized career conversations. It's kind of a one, two, three that feels like a really tangible response that anyone can start putting into play. So I just, I love that you've put that into good, simple words for us. It, you'll,
1: I hear from so many companies CEOs who say, um, "Well, we need to have more. You know, we're underrepresented black salespeople. Let's pick pick a example, and th- th- their thinking turns to, well, where am I going to find black salespeople? Do I got to how do I recruit black salespeople?' And um, it, in what I, you know, luckily for us, frankly, we don't have that hiring bias problem. We have everybody. We got all the talent we need right here, and that's the Again, super liberating to know that we don't have to fight that same problem that everybody thinks they're fighting. And and I think a lot more companies are probably in that position than they realize. I know they are because they're they're telling me.
0: You know, you speak with such a comfort level and such a sense of confidence and honesty. And uh, I think you'd really connect with this, but I I have always felt that if you know your intentions are good and your intentions are pure, then just speak from the heart. Right. Just speak from the heart and don't worry about what the lawyers say. <laughs> because you know, those good intentions will come out and I, f- I really feel that from you.
1: Is that it? Or is it, you know, I've already disclosed that I've got an unconscious bias and you're another white person, and maybe I just feel more comfortable with white people.
0: Ooh, oh my gosh. Well, now, just that's that's deep. That's <laughs> no, deep. Not really. It was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, oh boy. Uh well, Adam, this is one of the more kind of open and straightforward conversations around the subject that I've had on the podcast, and I think you've done the work to be able to speak about it. I really appreciate that.
1: It, it, thank you. I um, it's, it's part of a larger way of looking at capitalism that um, I'd like to tell you about. You got time?
0: Yeah, because I... <laughs> yeah, because... Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have... We're, we're going to be on here for a while, right. but no, I, I actually, so, so there was a, there was a comment in your, uh, in your article that was an interesting headline, which was, um, capitalism can fix systemic racism. Now, I don't know if I got that word for word, but it was along those lines. And I thought, well, that's, that's a strange collection of words. I'd love to hear Adam break that down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, um, a fervent believer that uh, capitalism is the best tool we've got to solve society's ills. Um, I, I put, you know, income inequality is uh, high on my list of, of problems we've got in this country, and capitalism, properly executed, um, is a way to deal with it. Just as, just as capitalism for hundreds, hundreds of years has been solving all kinds of societal ills um, from, from poverty to disease to etc cetera, etc cetera. now it doesn't mean there's not bad actors out there there's a lot of bad actors out there who look at capitalism and their definition and probably a lot of people uh, listening right now think of the definition of capitalism is about maximizing shareholder value and creating the most wealth possible for the investors and um, the thing is that's an idea that's only been around for about hmm. 50 years that's like 53 years to be exact uh, Milton Friedman wrote a, a an article in the New York Times Sunday Magazine in September of 1970. I, I can give you the date this idea came up. And this whole Gordon Gecko "greed is good," um, you know, maximize shareholder value thing is a 53-year-old construct, and um, it's just in our heads about this idea of what capitalism has to be. Now, these bad actors are—they're um, the headlines about capitalism. But the way I look at capitalism, I encourage other people to look at, and has been looked at for centuries is that the purpose of the business is simply not to create wealth for the owner or the investors that's, that's not you need that you absolutely have to have it uh john mackey is the co-founder of whole foods and he describes it as um, look my body needs oxygen to survive doesn't mean the purpose of my body is to breathe oxygen similarly my company needs profits to survive that's non-negotiable gotta have it but that's not the purpose of the company and the purpose gets to be defined by the management team. You get to decide who, what your purpose is and what you want to do. At Goodman's, we have decided that our purpose is to make an impact on the community. And we're going to do it by supporting our people, by supporting the community, and by uh, supporting the environment. We've declared who our stakeholders are for the company. And our suppliers are one of our stakeholders as well. And when you start thinking about capitalism in terms of the idea of supporting your stakeholders, it's a completely different conversation, and, and you make decisions so differently. Um, there's not a contentious relationship, for example, between us and no, our suppliers. No, um, it's uh, because we want to act in the best interests of our suppliers. We don't want to play one stakeholder off of another. Right? In, in the obvious example, that happens a lot in the industry is playing the customer, the end customer, against a manufacturer. That's um, some would say that's the role of a dealer. Um, uh, but that's not the way we look at it because we've got a 50 year partnership with OFS. And so that doesn't make any sense to us to, to, uh, leverage you uh, yeah. for the sake of, a, of another stakeholder.
0: Yeah. So, okay. This was a, this was a wonderful exploration. I really appreciate you being vulnerable, taking us on your journey. Um, all right. I'd like to go outside of this now and Great. just get into your past here. Do you have some great stories from just <laughs> growing up around the industry?
1: You know, at Neocon last week, uh, there were some little kids walking around the showrooms and and someone I was with was like, oh my, I didn't know we could bring our kids. And uh, my, like that was me. That was me. I, I'm 55 years old. I've been to like 45 Neocons. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and let me tell you, I can still tell you where I like all the best Candy and gifts and things that I could scoop up the free stuff. I, I you know, I, that was my that was my purpose, <laughs> getting the free stuff. Um, so yeah, growing up, I, I guess it's a third generation business. This is not the job that I wanted to have. I didn't want to be in this role. This is it was, um, uh, it wasn't particularly inspiring or fulfilling. I wanted to be a newspaper publisher. Still, kind of want to be a newspaper publisher, um, and. I went to work for Gannett Newspapers out of out of college, and that's when I, I got the call from my father to say, "Hey, this is the trains leaving the station. If you ever want to know what it's like to be in the family business, this is the time." And I came back to the family business, and there still wasn't um, it wasn't as fulfilling still, and I, I couldn't figure out what was what the issue was, and I had a, um, a, a, a just a three minute conversation with the CEO of Herman Miller at the time, Brian Walker. We're at a cocktail party. It's just one of those conversations. And he said something to me along the effect of um, the the most important thing a CEO can do for his people is to give them a sense of purpose beyond themselves. And then Mm. walked away. (laughs) like He just left me with that and walked away. And, you know, just like, what is he talking about? It got me reflecting on what is the purpose of this company is everything I could tell. The purpose was just to sell more stuff. And uh, well, maybe that's why I'm not uh inspired by this it's just 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 on a treadmill of selling more and more and more and so on that flight home from that meeting i wrote out this idea of what the purpose is why we're here and about making an impact on the community everything that's that's you see today that's i wrote it all out and sort of painted the vision and um when i landed and my my feet both metaphorically and literally hit the floor I became just embarrassed by this grandiose vision of like, who oh. do I think I am. But so, um, I, I shelved it in my documents, uh, which is like the modern day equivalent of putting it in the desk drawer. I, I, I put it in my documents and just like, I'm, we'll come back to this some other day. And uh, it took a year before I showed it to our marketing director. Um, and she like, Went nuts. She's like, "This is us. Like, this is you've got to share this with everybody. This is our." And you know, I've got enough insecurities that if, if she had not been encouraging with that first conversation, we wouldn't be here talking today about any of this. Um, if wow. she had given, if she had blown it off, or but she encouraged me, and that's uh, I needed to hear that. And so, I gathered the whole company um, at a at a Mexican food restaurant for a big breakfast, and I'm going to unveil our purpose. And it's important to know that um, there are people in the audience who have worked at the company longer than I've been alive at this point. <laughs> and so they've seen me you know, grow up and and uh, whatever, the boss's kid, all those sorts of things. And here I am standing up to talk about a new purpose. And so we're eating breakfast burritos in this big giant room, 200 people there. And um, I'm going through the purpose of what, you we know, here we are for the community, things that nobody's ever heard me say before. And uh, I can see about two thirds of the way down in the audience that there's two very tenured people are passing uh, notes back and forth to each other. And I have the presence to know that if I can get my hands on that note, I'll get a sense of what they're thinking and how people are taking this. The conclusion of the speech, um, what did not happen, which I fully expected to happen, was I would be lifted off uh, in people's shoulders and they would carry me out of the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> but um, it's not what happened. Uh, it was like dead wow. silent. It was just like getting, you know the the shuffle of the chairs and stacking the chairs and picking up all the the burrito wrappers and all that. Like that's what was happening. And and so I was helping because what else am I going to do? And I saw the note. I saw the note sitting right there, right where they were seated. And I I kept it. I still have it to this day. Um, The note said, it's still painful to talk about all these years later. The note said, I wish I had worn my boots today because the BS is so deep in here. Yeah. Tell me about it. I know. You want to just take a second? We cut to commercial just to let this sort of (laughs) think in.
0: It was brutal yeah i mean you're putting your heart out there oh that is brutal
1: at at that point i had uh i had a choice i either abandon it because um well this didn't go very well or i got to double down and um and and the lesson it taught me is yeah you, you you don't just say things like this once and like okay okay everybody there's our purpose now go um it Took a lot more communication and repetition and um challenging people one of the first things i did was challenge people to um uh what sur- surplus keywords surplus assets resources and talent what surplus assets resources and talent do we have at goodman's that we can make a benefit to the community uh, make available to the community for free surplus now we've got obviously we've got great designers and we got a big warehouse and we got trucks and um you know we've got all kinds of assets resources and talent and so how do we deploy these and um i gave everybody that opportunity to come with to me with ideas the very first idea came this is 2008 someone said uh someone in our tucson office said you know there's a big need in, in tucson for a foster clothing bank there's um three foster clothing banks in phoenix but there's none in tucson so when you get a, a, a foster child in the middle of the night you've got nowhere to turn to get all the stuff I've, foster child needs.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And
1: she said, look, we, we've got space in our showroom. We've got the warehouse. Where we can store things. People can fold and sort clothes on their lunch breaks. We should become the foster clothing bank for Southern Arizona. And um, today we have this. And since then, we've had this 5,000 square foot boutique in our showroom. If you get a, a foster child, a two-year-old in the middle of the night, you come into Goodman's and you get books and toys and clothes and high chairs, and you can take it away for free. This is all surplus Assets, resources, and talent that we can make available—that's um, it's so it's starting to do those sorts of things, and we've got a bunch of really cool examples, really creative things that we, we're doing that um, help people understand uh, the impact that they're making and how how we're fulfilling our purpose.
0: That is a beautiful use of surplus, and you know what—they didn't need those boots after all.
1: <laughs> they didn't need those boots after all. Exactly. <laughs> Believe me, if you have any idea how much that that little note still drives me to this day
0: yeah it's it's fuel i i can because yeah at that point you're like all right well we're not just going to talk about it i'm going to show them i'm going to show them it's not what unlike it means. The,
1: the black lives matter square on facebook after the george floyd murder it's it's performative stuff like i i i, I, I yeah I, I can't allow that to have my brand attached to, to this performative stuff we actually have to do something
0: I actually wrote down that word "performative" because I thought, you know, well, there it is again. They thought that that speech was a performance, right? And it was you saying, "No, we're really doing this."
1: Uh, they might have been right. It might have been a performance. I don't think I knew. I don't think I knew what I was going to have to do to double down uh, eventually. <laughs> just to be fair,
0: in Well, their defense. <laughs> just to be fair. Well, that's extremely honest, but you did it. You did it. There's a question I ask every person which is the best career advice that you love to pass on to others, what would that be for you?
1: Um, I just did this, actually. I just spoke to a group of emerging leaders uh, of an organization. And um, my advice is really for the men in the room, which was um, the uh, Lululemon's got these ABC pants that look like the dress pants. They're super comfortable and casual and flexible and everyone thinks you're wearing dress pants. So there's one piece of uh career advice that I have.
0: You are the third person really? in the last 2 weeks <laughs> to tell me this. The third person? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, this must be I I can't I was literally just telling my wife this yesterday. I was like, you know, two pe- two people told me this. Yeah. And cuz, you know, I I just couldn't believe it. And now here here as it is again. Advice? Amazing. Did
1: they give it to you as career advice or was it just Casual
0: banter, because that's how serious I'd take this career advice. No, it was, um, you know, they had the same sort of passion (laughs) in their their approach. It wasn't career advice, but it was like, if there's one thing I could tell you that you should do, you know, before your Neocon trip, do this, you know, get these pants. I was like, you know, it came up because this is going to be terrible to admit, but we're being vulnerable, right? That's right. Uh, It came up because as I'm packing for Neocon, I had like 12 pairs of pants do not fit me anymore Uh, it's like i'm (laughs) trying to pull this button closed and no so it'll just be 14
1: hours it'll be comfortable for 14 i can i can do anything (laughs) for 14 hours on my feet Uh.
0: i couldn't i couldn't do it Uh, so i either i I have a choice to make do i discard the pants right or do i work really hard to get back in there's
1: there's room in your closet You, you hang on to those um oh. in uh all right in all seriousness the uh the other career advice is about um is about uh congruence between what i'm thinking and feeling and what i'm saying and being completely vulnerable so whatever's going on in here is also coming out here and i'm not uh i'm free of hidden agendas or uh, manipulation or any of those sorts of things and it really helps people to trust me i, I think um but it also takes a ton of stress off me from trying to you know trying to play a game of some kind
0: right you don't have to get it right that's right so to say you just need to speak from the heart well said well Adam fantastic interview I'm a fan uh, I'm a fan of you and
1: I'm a fan of the podcast I'm enjoying the podcast I listened to the episodes it's a great podcast thank congratulations you.
0: thank you I'm excited to put this one out there so thank you so much for coming on For more design stories, visit us at ofs.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening.